The Lord is good. The Lord is good. He's great. He's a great God. And I, I am so excited about our time tonight. Uh, my lesson's called The Power of Doing God's Will. It's uh, based on my favorite chapter in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 3. And I want to go to that um, of, often. There's a story there that we're going to talk about in and out, back and forth, and dance around a little bit. So this is what I believe. I believe with all my heart that the Word of God can give us heaven's perspective on any situation. That the Word of God can free our mind from being bound and become loosed by it. That the Word of God is so powerful that it's, that is the number one point of attack for every enemy of God and His ways. You ever thought about that? If anything is under attack, you could imagine a lot of things. You could imagine um, things that church does, maybe Sunday school. Or you could maybe attack preaching or Sunday nights. But that's not where the number one point of attack comes from. It all comes to, it always comes to the Word of God. Because this is the root. Without the Word of God, what's going on? It's meaningless. As a matter of fact, Sometimes a lot of things in life and churches and people go on that are not attached to the root. And it's worthy to say they're meaningless. It really is. If you can't find the Word of God, just because it's in your tradition doesn't mean you should be doing it. I've had that conversation before. Lovely Catholic lady, we talked about the Bible, talked about what was in her Bible. Her best and final answer was, well... I know a lot of that's tradition, but I like our traditions. And I'm, I'm more comfortable with our traditions. So where, what has she placed her hope and her source? Not in the Bible, but in her traditions. Jesus said to those people, making the word of God of none effect, not partial, not half, not diluted, not a good third, of zero effect through your traditions and many such like things do you. Jesus said that. Jesus said, your traditions are so powerful and binding, you make my awesome word of no effect. That, that's, that should be a um, kind of a warning to us as well. I don't, want, I don't want to adopt a tradition that I'm more comfortable with that makes the word of God none effect in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm honestly praying and believing God would help you and me open our eyes and hear the word of God. Understand, let the light of the gospel get into our life. I need it, and you need it. And let's start off the best way possible. I am not right, and you are not wrong. I am not right, and or we're not right, and we're wrong. We're all wrong, and everybody needs a Savior. I know who the Savior is. I am not Him. There is a great God. I want to be one of those that's hungry that goes to the master's house for bread, not pretending I don't need food. Jesus said, yeah, you're saying they're all coming to me. That's true. But the sick, they recognize they have a need of physician. They're just as sick. They just don't realize their need for the physician. That's not any of my notes. I don't know how, why I'm on that part. But I think it's important to understand there's a basis for what we're talking about. It's more important than the stories. I love stories. I'm a story fanatic. I love stories. I'm an author. I like to tell stories. I've grown up in an Italian family that if you did not talk louder and stand up, your story was not heard. That's really a bad combination. You had to be louder to tell your story. But 
my stories, as wonderful as they are, and my illustrations, as much that I may read or hear or understand or get, cannot be the source for what we learn. What did Paul say? I preach Christ to them. He did not preach Paul to them. That doesn't mean he didn't share his illustrations. He said, you've known my man of life. But his source was preaching Christ. The simplisticness of the gospel is what I want to get in my life. I am a studier. I love to study. I love strong concordance. I love beautiful illustrations that come to me. And I love, I love those who teach the Bible. Yet, I recognize it's one of those things where over time, spiritual people kind of gravitate towards someone who has a new and deeper and hidden study. They get to Jewish traditions and special hidden things and Greek. They, they want to find the things in the Bible you can't read easily and describe stuff that's the background. And I know that's exciting, but the Word of God ought to be good enough on its own. It ought to stand on its own. Not, not that I, I, I love extras, but I have to put them in the right place. The Word of God should stand on its own. I should be able to read the Word of God, not having other sources, and be able to hear from God. If I have to be a specialist in other things, I'm just, I, I'm not sure we're preaching Christ and Him crucified. Paul had other possibilities and things to preach. He read their poets. He understood their people. He could talked about their illustrations, their concepts, and people that were great thinkers. Yet he said, I preach Christ. He said, when I do that, it makes those learned Greeks, they, that's foolishness to them. And the Jews as a stumbling block to us. It's the power of God. That, I've asked several people, even tonight, and I do this all the time, How's it going in the world? Well, they say, my world or this world? Because this world ain't going so well. This world is crazy. My world is probably going okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to be careful how to use my phrase, my words, because we've changed words over the years. But when I was a kid, the way they played was to get a ball, and you would just smear the guy with the ball. You would just attack that guy with a ball. We just run around in this grease. And there was no rules. There was nothing. Whoever had the ball, you just attack him until the ball popped out. Then the guy got it and took off running. And then you just tackle him. There was no lines. There was no one to call fouls. There was no one to say that's inappropriate. We played King of the Hill. Anybody ever played King of the Hill here beside me? Well, you had a small hill. It didn't have to be a big hill. It was a hill, nonetheless. Maybe someone had plowed something up and forgotten it and it was there. And you were king. Until someone pushed you off. And that was the hit. That's the game. You just constantly run up there and try to fend off people. If there were six or seven of them, it didn't last very long. And a new king was up. That reminds me of how the world is right now. It's craziness. And I, I don't like football like I used to like it. Um, I, I, I'm okay with it now. Some of you don't like football at all. But it's a great illustration. If you ever watch a football game... There's a defined purpose. There is an out-of-bounds. There's a line on this side that's out-of-bounds, and I think it's 30 yards. I don't know. On the other side, there's a line for this out-of-bounds. There's, there's an area that you cross a goal line on this side and a goal line on that side. Your objective is very simple, to advance the ball across that goal line, and then when they have the ball, to prevent that other team from doing so. It's straightforward. It's, it's hard. It's man on man. 
But uh, so imagine if you said, what's the purpose? No question. Easy. Purpose is to get the ball from here to there. I think almost all of you could do that. My grandmother's the only one I know that was struggled with that a little bit. When my father and grandfather would watch football on their little TV, grandma, who was um, born in the U.S., but her parents were from Italy, she would say when they would huddle, she'd say, why do they get together and pray so often? They're always getting together and they're praying. What are they praying about? <laughs> and say, grandma, that's not praying. That's called a huddle. So imagine this. Take away the rules. Take away all the lines. Take away the refs. Now, tell me if an interception is, has value or not. And you would say, I don't know. Run to the end zone. What end zone? I don't know if this is an end zone. When you take away this purpose of man to please God, and you remove that, then there is no real purpose for living. No wonder educated people say, what is the significance of life? And have symposiums on what is life all about? And sell millions and millions of books about why, what is the meaning of life? Well, you have no meaning of life if this is all that life there is. If there is no God, if there is no eternity, if this doesn't really matter, then how can you say that a baby has value? Or an unborn child has value? You're right. You can't say any of that. It doesn't make any sense. Yet, when you bring God in the picture, all of a sudden, now we have a direction. We have a purpose. And I can now measure myself and say, I'm going the right direction or I'm not going the right direction. And the Bible says like this, and light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It made them feel uncomfortable. It made them feel, don't you dare tell me there's only one way. Instead, they want to say, everyone's way is right. I'm just, getting, I'm just saying one thing. The Word of God is so powerful. It's so necessary for our life. Without it, we don't even know which direction to go or what is important. With it, I understand the direction. All right, I better get back to my lesson. Wow, it's a lot of preamble. Goodness. All right, there is a power in taking action that allows God's promises to you to be fulfilled. Hearing what Jesus says, knowing all the things he's talking about, even being one of the insiders of the disciple club, didn't save Judas. An average action or obedience is acted on is far better than a brilliant plan in which nothing is done. How many of you feel badly about that like I do? You can make a lot of lists, a lot of talk, want to do this, want to do that, and then if you don't do anything... Brilliant plans just sit in drawers and journals and on desks and papers and billfolds and purses. Execution is everything. And in the Bible, that word is obey. Somebody say obey. Jesus says, what do you think about this? Man's got two boys. Older boy, go work in the vineyard today. He said, no, I'm not going to go. But later he changed his mind. He went anyway. His father told the other son, go out in the vineyard work today. You go. He said, yes, sir, I will. I'll do it. Of course. Yes, you got it. I, I'll be there. You can count on me. I got it. Yes, sir. But he didn't go. So which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first one, the one that actually did it. Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors... And prostitutes 
will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Wow, Jesus didn't pull punches, did he? That was that harsh. That was really harsh to tell religious people these words. Can you imagine that? Finger out the worst people you can in this county or the county you live in. And Jesus saying, they're going to get in the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even while you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. There's a power in doing God's will. A power in doing God's will. It's not just doing whatever you think best, or what the common popular thing is to do, or even acting according to your feelings, but doing what God is, help me out with a blank, I forget this one, asking you to do. Thank you. But doing what God is asking you to do. That's, this is extremely important. You've got to get this part or the rest of the story won't make a difference. Understand this part. It's not just frenetic activity, but it's doing what God asked me to do. There's a great difference between being busy and accomplishing something. Has everyone ever felt in life that you've been very, very busy, but you've got nothing accomplished? You've done this, you ran over here, you did over there, you came back, you did this, da 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 and then you got nothing accomplished. There's a big difference. And when you obey what the Lord's asking you to do, you're always doing the right thing. Sometimes doing what makes sense to us, hey, that makes sense, that's logical, that is probably right, that's probably even godly, you should do that. That was the answer was given. David said, look at the, look at the ark of God, it's an intent. Been out there all the time, and I've got this lovely house. Nathan the prophet, I want to build God a house. You know what Nathan said? David, you do what's in your heart to do. That makes sense. Of course you should do that. But God thinks differently than people think. And that night, God talked to Nathan and said, did I ask for anybody to build me a tent? Thank you, but no thank you. Pretty much, he said, I love you, David. Thank you for thinking of me. No, your son will build me a house. Sometimes what makes sense to me to do, what seems like the right thing to do, isn't necessarily what God wants you to do. There's a power in doing what God's asked me to do. Oh, Lord, I want to be like the minister who prayed so many years ago. God, show me what to do. God, show me what to do. And the Lord said, remember, I showed you what to do. I'm waiting on you to move, and then I'm going to move. I'm still waiting on you to do what I asked you to do last time we prayed. <laughs> like the lady said, the Lord really is a gentleman. He plays checkers, and he won't move after he's moved. He's waiting on your move. Okay, well, there we go. That was important. I'm not sure why, but I felt like it was good to say. <laughs> wow. Second Corinthians 8, 11. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will... So there may be a performance also out of that which you have. That's the King James Version. Paul said, you all really wanted to give to the Jerusalem saints that are going through this difficult time. You wanted to give financially. You said you're going to put money aside. You're going to do it. Now I want you to actually do. It's not, maybe you don't feel the readiness to will right now. Now finish it, Amplified says. So that your enthusiastic readiness in desiring it may be equaled by your completion of it, according to your ability and means. 
Why is it there is a feeling sometimes to do things? But when it comes time to the doing of it, the feeling is not there. We just have to do it. That's hard, isn't it? Sometimes just that move and you feel the, the Lord just drawing you and you want to do whatever it is. And then you say, Lord, I will be, I'm going to meet you. And five o'clock, I'm going to see you. And that alarm goes off at five o'clock. And you say, Lord, I don't think you're here. You'll come back at seven. I'll talk to you then. Why is it that we struggle with that? What a readiness of mind. And then time goes by and time goes by. And Paul said, you got to do it. you got to act it. Okay, so here we go. Second Kings chapter 3, my favorite chapter. It starts out very bad. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab. That's a tiny little piece, and it's a bad beginning. Jehoram, the son of Ahab. That means Jezebel was his mother. That means Ahab, who God probably worked with, frustrated with, pronounced curses on, saw him fast near the end of his life, and God was merciful to him, and his mother, who was so wicked. That was his mom and dad. That's a bad start. It's not a prophecy about the rest of his life. Remember, the church of the living God is predestined, but he has not chosen your future. Your future is not chosen. You can be a son of Ahab or a son of David. Some of you say in this place, hey, I'm telling you right now, I was born a son of Ahab. You don't know my mom and dad or where I was raised or the situation. It was really, really rough. You're proof that God can take a son of Ahab and transform their future, transform their life. Some of you, like me, can say, I was, I was a son of David. I had great parents, wonderful mom and dad. But guess what? That doesn't ensure anything. There's struggles on both sides. There literally is a struggle for those who, who forever all their life will say, I grew up with, with horrible situation, desperate need, a, a need for God, a, a lack, of, lack of love, a lack of warmth, problems and troubles, and God's brought me out of it. But those who were brought up like me didn't have to pay the price mom and dad did. I never had to tell my mother like she did, Mom, I know you want it, and I've been praying and crying about it for months, but I can't get married in the Catholic Church. I just can't do it. I never struggled with that kind of a decision. I never had to worry about it. I never had to deal with my mom and dad and said, I don't care what it takes. If you guys don't like us anymore, we love you, we hate it, but we're not going to have alcohol in our house this Christmas when you all come to visit. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. I know it's going to make some people mad, but we're not going to do it. I never had to fight that fight with my with any of the relatives or my parents. You see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a power of doing it yourself. You, you value, you value the, that first generation. But I can be a first generation. I just have to go back to the Lord as a first generation. I've got to reconnect to Him. I cannot reconnect to the, to my parents through their God. I've got to reconnect to God myself. That makes me first generation. Make sacrifices myself. Say to myself, I can choose how to live this life. No one has force-fed me. I haven't had the little spoon with the choo-choo train. Open up, Scotty. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. For a long time. But yet, see this still here? I built all of that myself. 
No one's been doing the plane. Come on, it's coming, Scott. Come on, open up. I, no one does that to me with pie or ice cream, but I do it to me. It's me. Come on, Lord, let's get less of me and more of thee. I want it. And just like you and I, we have the ability, it doesn't matter what home you're raised in, whether it's Ahab's or David, you have got the ability to say, Lord, either thank you for taking me from that place, and here I am. And many of you have amazing, gorgeous testimonies that would shock you that they were raised like that. Yes, they were. And others of us have to say, Lord, I was raised in David's household, but there were some problems in David's household too. David, <laughs> David had some struggles too. And the big, biggest struggle is, will God be my God or will he always forever be my parents' God? Will I always be defined by their relationship to God or will I have a fresh relationship with God? I can choose that at any moment and nobody can stop me. Just like I can, can leave here and I can go with Jen and we can go get something really bad to eat and no one can stop me, even though you should stop me. Okay, that's a different kind of attitude, probably more of a joke. All right, so... Jehoram was not as evil as his father, but still held to the sins of Jeroboam a long time before. This was the false worship of God under the calf images. In spiritual matters, he was undecided, not knowing where he stood, in between, in the land of in between, in the spot of, I'm not worshiping Jehovah, but at least I'm not as bad as, as my father, and I'm, maybe I'm over here. You know, that's never a good spot to hang out in. There's nothing good there. And God doesn't look at that and say, that's great. So here we go. Now we've got his dysfunctional family with his mother Jezebel was not an excuse for his action. You think about Jezebel for a mother. That could not be any worse than having Jezebel for a mother. A woman who threatened to kill Elijah and cut off his head. There are no, I don't care who you are in this place, don't you dare say your mother is Jezebel. Nobody is Jezebel. So you stand alone before God with your actions and choices. Today, the Bible says, now is high time. Today is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable day of the Lord. That also can be read as the day of acceptation. The Lord's ready to accept you today. This day. Today. Today's the right day. Today's it. Nobody holds Tomorrow. Tomorrow is a promise. Possibly we can, maybe one of these say it's a promissory note. And yesterday is a cancel check. All I have is right now. Everybody has right now to say, Lord, come on, even this moment, close your eyes. Lord, this is my day right now. Today, I want your word to have an effect on my life. Today, Lord, I want to put aside and put back all my excuses and all the reasons, Lord. Everything for why I'm not close to you. Let me lay that down and surrender. Even this moment, Lord Jesus, do a work I pray in every person. Jesus, in your name. What's the Lord saying? Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so sitting on the couch, waiting the Lord to come back. Um, doing a, no, doing an activity. He is so doing. What the master said, I want you to do, he is so doing. He's actively doing it. Verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler over his goods. He didn't say about this servant. He was smart. He was raised in David's household. He is a wise guy. He's got a lot of things going for him. He's strong. He's got a lot of money. 
It's amazing how little is there. He's simply doing what the master asked him to do. That seems to be too simple. Ephesians chapter 6, it's servants, be obedient to them that your masters, according to the flesh. That We could read that in your bosses, um, uh, managers, um, if you work for yourself, people you work for, for yourself, your clients. Not, I'm sorry, in fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as though you're doing it to Christ. Not with eye service or like only when they're watching. As men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill doing service. As to the Lord, and say not to men. Somebody say not to men. Oh, we've got to have a wake-up call here occasionally. You guys are drifting on me. So, we're, we're in a big, bad wilderness. Hopefully none of you are in a horrible wilderness right now, but now the story moves to wilderness. Jehoshaphat was a man that loved God. He was a king of God's people in Judah. Jehoram, we talked about him already, remember Jezebel's son, king of Israel. He asked for his help. Jehoshaphat needs some help. When he defeat a common foe, Misha, he uh, stopped paying the tribute. Suggested, let's work together. And Jehoshaphat said, yes, of course we can do this. I see myself in Jehoshaphat here so much. Jehoshaphat didn't ask the right questions. He didn't ask of God. He did not pray. He just said, yeah, we can do it, sure. And he connected with someone he should have been connected with. Paul said, be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's not just marriage. Don't be a partner to wickedness. Don't team up with the world. How can there be harmony? What union is there between the Lord and the devil? How can light live with darkness? Those are all a collection of um, translations for those phrases that I found. When you put them together, you realize that's more than just marriage. Partnering with wickedness. Teaming up with the world. Light living with darkness. Why are you, Jehoshaphat, connecting with Jehoram? Just because he asked, and you want to help him, and you got a common enemy. Mm. The prodigal in Luke 15, 15, this is a very key part of that story. After the famine came, after his money was all spent, he had left dad, he'd gone, had a great time. Famine arose. That's just like the wilderness we have here. <clears throat> Trouble rises up. All of a sudden, his many friends that were there only for the money disappear. You ever notice how that happens? So many friends, and then where are the friends at when there's no more money? Money runs out and the friends run out. So he needed something. He had to have work. The Bible says he joined himself to a man of that country. The Amplified says he glued himself to one of those citizens. That's a connection that didn't work out well for him. Whatever they said in the, the original agreement, whatever they said about you working and me paying and et cetera, I don't know what that conversation was like, but I know how it ended up. The Bible says he took the husk that the pigs had and tried to, it said feign, which means in, in a, not able to, then feign did did fill his belly, trying to find just a little piece of, maybe a leftover piece of corn that the husk had slobbered, the hogs had slobbered on, and, and pulled those things out and tried to get some, just some meat off of it. That's hunger. 
I don't think I could do that today. If you gave me fasting for 30 days, I don't think I could do it 30 days. Maybe I'd be a long time. That's maybe in a spiritual and mental place to get way, way, way down. So whatever connection that they had agreed on, that wasn't it. I could promise. Come work for me. I'll pay you nothing. You sleep with the hogs, and you get to eat whatever they got left over. I promise you that wasn't it. But when you connect, you partner with evil. You partner with the world. You partner light with darkness. You'll end up in a place you did not intend to be. Can anybody here say amen? Anybody know that's true? Amen. It's the truth. Misha, or is sometimes spelled with one E, was a sheep breeder and paid tribute to Jehovah's father Ahab. But when Ahab died, aha, Misha saw an opportunity. I'm not going to pay the 100,000 um, 100, lambskins or wool, wool skins. That's a lot of payment. That's a lot of money. I'm going to stop paying them. The Moabite stone, I was amazed to find this. Or Misha steel, that means the same thing was discovered in 1868 in Dibon, close to Moab. It has a parallel account in the events of this chapter. But they're from Misha's point of view. A German missionary heard rumors about this stone and found it. A four-foot-high, bluish basalt stone. It had just been sitting in the ground for thousands of years, literally. Can you imagine that? Just sitting there. And it had this writing on it that I guess the locals couldn't understand. It's literally the same thing of Second Corinthians or Second Kings three, but it's from the other point of view of Misha's point of view about him stopping paying the monies, and then the kings coming to attack him, and all these things happening, and the battle. It's it's amazingly a literal showing that the Bible is true. Another one of those things. Someone says it is one of the top archaeological finds of our time, but local Arabs realize what was at stake, that this stone confirmed the Bible, and they attempted to destroy it. They chopped, tried to chop some pieces off it, but they weren't successful. Their pieces were found, put back in order, and now you can go and see this stone in Paris at the, the museum there. Can you imagine that? God is so powerful. How can you stop his word? How can you, how can you look at his word and say, this word is not true? There's so many proofs of his word over and over and over and over again, even from the opposite point of view. What a powerful God we serve. So now these men, these three armies, Jehoshaphat's one of those in his army, these three kings and their three armies are going to fight Misha. And Jehoshaphat's asked which direction to take. He picks the direction. But when it goes to the spot where they intend there to be a stream, a riverbed, it had dried up. Now, you think about this whole scenario. Jehoshaphat is now in severe trouble. God's man is going to die, and because he's like all flesh, he's got to have water. And his army's going to die. He's in a place he shouldn't be. He's in a spot he shouldn't be. Why was this going to happen? His past, help me with this one. His past did not protect him from making the wrong decisions. His past did not protect him from making the wrong decisions. He's literally in a place he should not be. He's partnered with ungodly men. He wanted in a place he didn't belong. He and his men are in a life and death situation. It's not, it's not an ability to get out of it. He stuck himself here. He can't just walk away 
because to walk back home is to continue to walk without water. So either could die of thirst or become very weak to the point where the enemy has little, um, little, uh, little problems with, with killing them and destroying them. Weakness would get a hold of them. He's in a place where he needs an answer. And you think, Jehoshaphat, how did you get in this spot? You're with two guys that are ungodly kings. You're, you've not been told by God to go and do this. You've been just, you're pretty much just on your own. You're in a bad place, and now you're going to die of thirst. What is the answer? And, and the, the funny thing is, Jehoram says, here's what's going to happen. He says, the Lord has called us together to kill us. What are you talking about, Jehoram? The God you're not decided about? The one you don't really serve? In between people, those who are in the undecided camps of the confused land between God and idolatry, they walk without asking God's direction, make battle plans without prayer, and then blame God when things go wrong. God is going to kill us. God's here to kill us. And you know what? Even though Jehoram blamed God for trouble, Jehoshaphat asked for the word of the Lord. Now that is the distinguishing difference. I pray that everyone in this room, when you fall into a serious situation and the enemy has successfully attacked against your life, something's happened. It's your fault. It's their fault. It's life's fault. It, who's no, I don't know whose fault it is. You're in a bad spot. The point of the thing is, will you either blame God and say, God's trying to kill me, or will you say, we have got to hit a word of God? Well, how can I, where can I get a word of the Lord? I, I need a word of the Lord. See, that was Jehoshaphat's reaction. It wasn't to say, yep, that's it. God's always hated me. This is his chance. He's finally getting it. That was Jehoram's chance. That was Jehoram's feeling. He said, God's called. He even said, he, he made it later on when he said to Elisha, he said, God has called these three kings together to destroy them. Like God has a master plan to kill all three of you. And he needs you to walk out here to kill you. Yet Jehoshaphat said, we got to find the word of the Lord. Who's got the word of the Lord? They said, well, there's a guy here that uh, he, he poured water on the hands of the prophet. What a beautiful thing to have said. That's how they described Elisha. He poured, hands on the, he poured water on the hands, rather, of Elijah. That was that his servanthood to Elijah distinguished him. That was how he was described. And so Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord's with him. I, I, I'm always also amazed at this. Did you realize that that man of God was living in the land of Jehoram? Jehoram could have any time gone to him. He didn't even realize he was there. He didn't even know he was there. Jehoram did not even go over and talk to him. He was surprised. Oh, he's here? Because he hadn't hungered for the word of the Lord. He was in the in-between place. All right. It's important to understand these, this, this concept because you get to see a beautiful story that maybe I, I pray will uh, connect to you and to me. So the three kings humbled themselves. This is not typical for them. Usually it's, we'll call you and you come talk to the king. But in this case, the three kings went to the prophet. And Elisha says, as the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward you or see you. I wouldn't even talk to you. 
you other two kings, I wouldn't even talk to you. Without Jehoshaphat here, I wouldn't even look in your direction. Elijah's really mad. He's frustrated. But listen to what he said. I'm regarding Jehoshaphat. That's the only reason we're having a meeting. But I'm thinking, stop, wait a minute. They're in this mess, at least partly because Jehoshaphat. He gave bad walking directions. God did not put him in this spot. The prophet didn't put him in this spot. They're going to face death by dying of thirst or being so weak the enemy easily kill them. And so is it with you and I. Our lives, we end up in places where we shouldn't be because of bad decisions we made, because we never asked for the word of the Lord. And yet, God is so merciful. He sees the blood in our life. He is kind to us. He brings his word back again to us. Does anyone like me say, I've heard the word of the Lord again, the second time, the third time, the fifth time, the tenth time, the word of the Lord again speaking to me again and again and again and again. I, I, I laugh at this passage because Elisha is really genuinely aggravated. He is frustrated. He is so aggravated because they are in a dire situation and they're wanting him to rescue. They wanted him to be a get-out-of-jail-free card. Help us out. We're, we've messed up this time. We're in big trouble. Look at all the... I can imagine all the guys. They're out there on the dry riverbed. Here's the three kings. They're talking to Elisha. Oh, and I think about Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, oh, that's made alive, us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. Someone be thankful right now for God's rich in mercy to you. Somebody just raise your hand and say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful he's rich in mercy to me. God is so merciful, kind, loving, and faithful. He recognized Jehoshaphat's past relationship with him to give the perfect answer and a miraculous deliverance through the prophet. But Elisha wasn't ready to hear from God. He was frustrated. He was put out. He's just a man. He's aggravated. So he needs a musician. Musician, come. Are you a singer, songwriter, musician? Are you a guitar, lute playing, flute playing musician? I don't know what you are. I don't know what your name is. Bible didn't say. But he came and played. I can just see him. Life sin. Just give me some minutes here. Play that psalm again. Play about the Lord as my light and my salvation. Oh, I need to hear that one. These people are bothering me. These kings. These. I can't even hear from God right now. I need, I, you think of all people, he's never before in his life, I can't find anywhere where he said, I can't hear from God right now. I don't know what the Lord's saying. I need, you're just driving me nuts. Give me someone to play. I need some music. Has anyone ever felt that way when you're in a, a, a time with the Holy Ghost moving and the songs are going? That the, that, the, that the spirit and the music just brings you right to the throne of God? That's the intent. I'm a musician. I love music. I love to play. But really, the music is not about me or about my abilities. It, the idea behind worship music is to bring people like a carrier, like a transportation via right to the throne. Come before his presence with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endure to all generations. When I say that phrase, and enter into, look that up. Check that out. Here I am back to Strong's again. 
Check it out. Enter to his presence. It's literally a symbolism of a person coming from one country and going across to another. Of a person getting off a boat, of a boat in the water and the gangplank and going across in dry land. Enter into, I leave where I was. I leave that world behind. I leave the world of people in flesh and problems and troubles and all this down here. And I go into another world when I truly enter into his presence with thanksgiving. I come with song and worship. And I can see Elijah there just, just listening to that song. And I probably interrupted the musician. It happens all the time. Poor musician. He had practiced. He had the two songs down. He sang. He got halfway through the first one into the second one and said, Stop! Okay, here's the word of the Lord. I hear him say, wait a minute, I've got another course and a bridge. Wait, hold on here. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. But I can imagine that because I've seen that before too. I'm put out, Pastor. Why? Because I had this song to sing and we only got to the chorus. I didn't get my verse to sing. Oh, boy. Okay. Get on, get on the page, Scott. Here we go. So um, here we are. The music helps him get past his frustration. And that unnamed singer, guitar player, whatever he was, changed history and helped secure a victory. Mm. So, it's important to understand that the answer does not equal the victory. The answer by itself does not equal the victory. What equals the victory? Have I skipped things? Have I skipped something? Okay. I see direction from the Lord. Are we still in that one? Are those guys up there sleeping? <laughs> the answer does not. Give me that next one. Give me the conclusion. Help me. My brain's, I need my brain. The answer does not equal the victory. Doing what God asks does bring the victory. Obeying the Lord. Following his commands. Doing what God asks. That's, that, there we go. Doing. So, imagine your mind. See these armies. Three armies. On a dried up riverbed. Okay, we've got direction. Whew, that's exciting. I'm so glad to hear that. Got the word of the Lord. We've come back from it. I, I, lay it on us. I want to hear it. Dig in this dry riverbed and make trenches or ditches. I don't think you understand how it works. You can't dig down into water. There's no water here. See, this is dried up. That means no water. Well... And do you understand? We're tired. We haven't had water. I don't know how long you guys have been without water, but going without a while to sap your strength. You want us to dig. That's hard. That's digging. That's work. That's shovels and pickaxes and all that kind of thing. We're, we're tired. We've we, run to the end of our rope. You want us to dig ditches in a dry riverbed. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. You won't see rain or wind. Why do you say that? Because that's typically... What happens in the company's water coming from the heavens? Thirsty, nearly dead, very tired men. We're supposed to dig in the dry ground and make long trenches. God typically asks his people to do something they can do. And you ought to underline that. God typically asks his people to do something you can do and I can do. Before he does what only he can do. God, if, if you can do it, God's going to ask you to do it. If you can't, he won't. But if you can do it, he will ask you to do something. In this situation, it doesn't seem to make sense. 
Think about the think about what we do instead. What is not in the passage? We have a serious situation. We've got very bad trouble. It's life and death facing us. So let's change our lives. Let's make ourselves better. Let's let's get let's do better. That wasn't in there. Let's think. How can we let's think our way out of this? You got yourself into this, now you gotta get yourself out of it. Heard that all my life from different people in their lives and families. Let's talk to someone who knows maybe a battle plan. Let's find someone with, a, with smarts. Let's find some kind of a plan to get out of this. Nothing happened like that. That wasn't God's way. God's way is not for you and I to be the Savior, for you and I to figure it out. All God wants you to do is, here, you obey. You've asked me for a word. I'm giving it to you. You obey me. I'm going to work the part out. I'm not asking you to become perfect. I'm not asking you to become better people. I'm asking you to simply obey. I'm not even asking you to be happy about it. Just dig ditches. It didn't say dig happy ditches. <laughs> it didn't say dig ditches and whistle while you work. Just get the job done. Do what I'm asking you to do a job. Go and do it. I promise you there's grumbling. I know there is. If I asked you right now to go dig ditches, you'd be grumbling. Course, yes, you would. Of course, you. some of you... Act like you wouldn't, but you would be. You'd be like, no, I ain't, I ain't digging no ditches. Here's the way of unbelief. If God sends the water, then we will make the place for it. That's the way of carnal man, isn't it? God, I tell you, you got, you, okay, fine, prophet. Is that what you're saying? Okay, God, send water, and I'll make room for it. Send the miracle, and I'll make room for it. Send the finances, I'll make room for it. Send the healing, and I will, well, I will be in the altar. Do the work, and I will be there, Lord. Do your, do your part, and I'll do my part, Lord, I promise. Come through for my family just one time, Lord. Get me out of, get me out of this hospital bed, Lord. I'll do something for you. Every minister here that's ever visited anybody in any jail, or any, even, even hospital, have heard all kinds of amazing things that people are going to do for the Lord. You can even tell them that I'm not here for that. I'm just here to encourage you. But they, oh, you don't know, Brother Scott. When I get out of here, you're going to see me. Sundays, you're going to see me. You're going to see me Wednesdays. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot. I'll never forget the lady who took me to work years and years ago and bought, it was like $40 of the lottery tickets. And she said, now, apologetically. Now, these lottery tickets, Brother Scott, here's what I'm telling you right now. I'm praying over these, and I'm saying, Lord, let me win. I'm going to give to the church. I am going to give like never. You've, seen, you've never seen a giver like me. I just need to win this one jackpot right here. I'm going to win it. And that, to me, that's funny. I thought that was hilarious then that she would think that that would make sense. But we do that in our lives, don't we? God, send the water, and I'll make a place for it. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. You dig the trenches. I'll send the water. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost, and I said that just now. You, you give me faith, and I will bring in the miraculous. You give me your devotion, and I'll meet you in your time of prayer. You give me a day of fasting, and I'll, I'll, I'll show up. You put me to the test by you saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to read your word every day, and and I will stand in there. And I'll, all of a sudden you'll be reading it and you'll be like, I'm standing next to the Lord. You, you come to the altar and then the Lord says, I'll meet you there. 
You take a step, whatever the step is. You give the little and I'll be the much. I, I can say this with conviction because I know I can be on both sides of that so easily in my life. Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I trust you. The Lord says, where are your feet, Scott? Well, they're, they're here when we start the prayer. So if you trust me, then start walking. No, I, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Well, then start doing something. Well, I'm trusting you over here, Lord. You start doing something so I know what to do. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. My mother-in-law, and I'll tell you the story again. If you haven't heard it, I know it's silly, but it works in the story. She sat me down because... Uh, at the time, I was struggling to find out the answer from God. I was struggling. I, was, I said, I am locking myself in that church, and I am going to be at that altar all night, and I'm not going to leave until I have an answer from God. The problem was, I already had an answer from God. I didn't like that one. I wanted a different answer from God. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. It's so funny now. It was not funny then. It's like the guy who who is playing too close to the cliff, falls off the cliff, and of course there's that tree. Why is that tree always there? He grabs a hold of that tree and is holding on and screaming for the other folks who were supposed to be on the walk with him, and no one answers. Finally, someone says, Bill, Bill, I'm here. So, oh, thank God, I thought I was going to die. I better use this right hand. I forgot to change hands. Pretty bad. Let go. Okay, hold on to this hand. So he says... He says, oh, thank God, I thought I was good. I'm so glad. I've been praying. I've been crying. I'm here. He said, Bill, I got you. He said, who is this? He said, this is the Lord. Oh, well, Lord, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. I, I didn't know it would be you, but I'm, I'm glad you showed up. What should I do? He said, I just need you to do what I'm asking. Okay, Lord, I'll do any, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Okay, let go of the branch. He said, what? He said, yeah, just let go of the branch. You said you trust me, right? Let go of the branch. And so it was a long time, long quiet. And he said, Bill said, is there anybody else up there? And I feel that way a lot of times in my life too. I want an answer. Not that one. I want a different answer. I want an answer that makes me feel better. Not one that makes me scared to have to trust God and don't know what's going to happen. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Mm. God, if you send the water... I'll make a place for it. God says, make a place. Make a place, and I'll fill it. Well, I feel like that is a powerful message for my life. I hope you're getting that for your life. I pray that sinks into your spirit. God gave the direction, but they were in charge of the hard work of digging. The men decided how big the trenches would be. They decided how much water would be captured. Now, just so you know, this is incredibly important to understand. There was no wind. There was no rain because God had it rain on a mountain far away. I've done this as a little bit of research. Far from their sight, the mountains, I guess Edom is the right phrase in that location. So that what happened was God sent a flash flood their way. The flash flood came and passed. If they hadn't dug any trenches... The water would have come and passed them on by. Everything that was captured was captured because of obedience to the Lord. Every trench that was filled was filled because they dug it. You can see the miraculous come and just go right on by you. You can't miss it. God will not make anybody dig trenches. And maybe you dug a little trench. 
Say, Lord, I trust you this much. Just a little trench. Some tired. But guess what? That's how much water will hold. And some dug large trenches because it said, if I'm going to dig a trench, I might as well dig a big one. And that's how much water they got. Obedience to the commanding officers make them dig the trench. But faith decided how deep they would dig. And that applies to you and me and my life. God has a powerful, mighty revival. He has got an answer. Even if it's because it's your own fault that you're in that position and you made bad decisions and you stand with your house of it and said, I'm in a spot I shouldn't be. Don't worry. First, find the Word of God. You have to humble yourself to get it. You can't go to the Word of God without humility. You can't be like the king is saying, I'll hear from the prophet when the prophet comes talk talks to me because I'm the king. Pride will prevent you from hearing the word of the Lord. Amen? Humility is a massive key. For three kings to walk to a lowly prophet's house, that's humility. When they usually demand and people come and then they say, not yet, the king is not ready yet, wait. Okay, now you can come. Not even, they don't need to have someone wait. Humility. Humility first allows me to go and find the word of God. When I get the word of God, now I've got to make a decision if I'm going to obey the word of God. If I don't, God will still send his promises because he promised to. He'll still pour out the Holy Ghost on the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost in the upper room. But you might not be there. He's going to pour it out. You get to decide whether you're going to be there or not. Well, Lord, I'm busy that day. I've got things to do. Here's my time slot when you can fill, Lord. I'll let you, if you can be there between 5 and 6 o'clock on Tuesday evening, I'll, I'll be there for you. doesn't work like that, does it? And the same thing happens in our life over and over again. God's saying, make a place, I'll fill it. Make a place, I'll fill it. Verse 18, my favorite one. Oh, I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. Not only is he going to give you water, he's going to give you victory. He'll deliver the Moabites in your hand. This is a little one for God. An itsy bitsy teeny tiny little thing. It's, it's, it's tiny. It's little. God, I'm going to give you, said, I'm going to give you water. I'm going to give you not just a victory, it's going to be a lasting victory. Read about all the things he did to their land. They're not going to be able to easily recover from this one. A lasting victory. God's design was to bring that flash flood down from a nearby mountain. If they refused to obey, this blessing would have passed them by, and no water would have been caught. Don't be confused. Ditches and preparation, hard work, it doesn't mean anything without God. Hard work is important, but it's not the blessing. Amen? Just digging ditches without the word of the Lord and saying, I've been digging ditches all over the place. That didn't mean God directed you to do it. You've got to have the word of the Lord. And the gift of water is wonderful, but it's not the giver of the gift of the water. The giver is more important. That morning sun shone on the water that wasn't supposed to be there. It confused the enemies, and it looked like blood to them. And they said, those three kings are fighting amongst each other. Let's go right now. We can just run up there and grab the spoil. And of course, when they did, they were surprised to find an army rested, full of water, feeling good, and attacking. And God gave a powerful victory. Uh, this, this passage talks to me because I, I don't know of any other passage where I find humor and a musician and some sarcasm and people whining 
and God's miraculous on the same passage. It's incredible. I love it. I love it with all my heart because it shows God is not bound by your mistakes. God's not bound by your sidetracked bad directions. God can work it out no matter where you're at. God can fix it. God can't. God can take horrible and bring good out of it. God can take thirsty and make them filled. Here's the short message. Here's the short synopsis. I'm going to boil all the book down of Ruth. Here's it down. Here's it boiled down. Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, return back to the people of God. And Naomi says, don't call me my name anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. When I left, my arms were full. I had two baby boys and a husband, and I've come back empty. And it doesn't appear that she was bitter against God, because why would she come back to God? It's very likely she was bitter about her own decisions. Maybe she had a large part in the decision process of, honey, times are tough in, in the place where God's at, and it's kind of a famine here, and the house of bread doesn't have any bread. That's what the name of the city meant. And Let's go out there, and we'll, we'll find a good job. And there's, I know there's good land, and there's good places. Maybe that was a part of her decision-making process. Maybe she realized she was the push to make that happen. And maybe it was just supposed to be, because they talked about sojourning in a different land. That word used, sojourn in a strange land, that's intending to be an out, go out and visit and come back. That sojourn means I'm going to go look it out and come back. But going out and come back, they didn't ever come back. Isn't that how it is? We, we, we stay much longer than we intend to. I've had some people tell me, yeah, we moved in this house, and I thought we'd be here a couple years, and that was 15 years ago. And I took this job for six months. That's been seven years ago. <laughs> Life has a way of doing that. Time just slips. Before you know it, Boys are married, but not to girls from where they should be married to. And before you know it, dad died, and then the boys died. And here we have just Naomi and Ruth. They are literally the poorest of the poor. Take everybody and put them on a scale of the entire community when they went back home. They're the widows. <clears throat> they have any job, have any food. They've got no family. They've got the least. So much, though, that Naomi instructs Ruth, you've got to go out there in the in the, for the grain, when they're going in the harvesting, God, our God, has, has a system in place that will help us, people like us. They won't, they won't take those corners of the field. They won't do anything with them and leave the grain there. So poor people like us can go and get food. Can you imagine if we did that today? You're poor and you need welfare, you need help? No worries. You can just get out of your house, go out and work for free in this place, and we'll give you a little bit of food. Boy, that would be really, people would be very mad. Are you joking? You better send it to my house. <laughs> go out and work and go get it? I'm not doing that. What are you thinking? <laughs> but that was in the Bible. So Ruth worked so hard that the head guy of the group, Boaz, noticed her. And he asked, he said, who is this woman? He said, well, that's Ruth. She's uh, from Naomi's kind of family. She married Naomi's son. She's a Moabitess, but... She's worked very hard. She was here before the sun came up. She took just a short little break and little, they have a little lean-to over there, and then took, got some drink, and then she's been back working all day. He was so impressed with her work ethic. 
her hard work. Now, it was difficult and painful. He said, I tell you what, um, when you're walking, let some of the sheaf of that grain just fall and don't look back. A, a way to preserve her dignity. He didn't offer her something for free. Just kind of said, just drop it so she'll find it and pick it up. So over time, these two, Boaz and Ruth, are together. They're working in the field with all the different workers. This is a picture of group dating. I love this. Think about this. Think about this. For all of you dating people, or have dating kids, I think it's so amazing. We don't do it. What it, the best way to find out about a woman? Be around a group of people, other girls, other guys. See how they all interact. When you're one-on-one, you're so blinded, you can't see anything, you don't know. You say, oh, I just love you. And you don't, it's hard to understand who a person is. But they were together for an entire harvest time. Until finally, Naomi gave instructions to Ruth for her to show interest in Boaz. And Boaz was surprised a younger woman would find him attractive or whatever. The Lord worked it all out through process of time and parts of the story I'm not going to tell. So at the end of the story, they got married and had a baby. And then when the baby was born, Naomi held the baby. And guess what everyone said? They said, Naomi, God has given you a baby from the Lord. Now hold it. Wait a minute. Ruth is not your daughter by birth blood. Boaz is not really, he's not your son. He's not your blood child. No, no, no. What was bitter and empty? has now become full. What was the poorest has now become the wealthiest. What was looked down upon and the least and uh, pitied has now become the most important. I'm telling you, we serve a God. I don't care how you got to the wilderness. I don't know what, care what path you took. I don't care whose fault it was. F- humble yourself. Find the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. Say, Lord, let me not be too smart for myself and try to figure things out. If it's something simple you want me to do, like just reading my Bible or praying or fasting or just listening to your word or whatever you want me to do or, or digging the ditches, Lord, I, I want to do it so you can have your way in me. Let him be God and we be the children. Him be the father, we be the sons and daughters. Oh, Jesus. Here's what the word says. And let us not be weary. In well-doing, that's activity. For in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Mm. Stand right now. Just I want you to give the Lord two minutes of your time right now. Just take two or three minutes. Stay right now and pray. Talk to him. Lord, I invite you right now, Jesus, into my life. I invite you into my situation. I invite you into the wilderness from there, Lord. There's situations, Lord. Some of us have wilderness of our own, and others we're carrying it for those we love. We carry, Lord, a wilderness situation for those in our life that we know it's not us, but they're in one. And it's like we're in one too. That's an intercessor's heart, Lord. To see it. Oh, Father in heaven, you are great. You're a great God. You're an awesome King. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Well, we need more than anything else is you, Lord Jesus. We need you this moment. We need humility of our heart. We need the holy word of God. We need to obey and walk in that word and do it. Jesus, have your way. Come on, someone. Give him just a minute right now, would you? Just, just a minute of your time. This moment right now. Press through your in your prayer time, call on his name, Jesus. Jesus, help me to trust you, Lord, and not trust myself. Help me to call on you and not my best thoughts and my best ways or share it with some friend. Help me, Lord, to seek you.
Seek you, Lord. And I'll find you, the word says. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray the word of God is, is going to just get a hold of your mind, your heart. Let, let the word of God just sink into your spirit.